0: Hey what's going on everyone, I'm Jeremy Lee and you are listening to episode 2 of Reading the Play, the show where athletes share their story and experiences about life and sports. Additionally, we'll break down some key decisions they made so you can get a better understanding of their journey and where they are today. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. It's also available for download at sportcalgary.ca. And for more content, follow the Facebook page, Reading the Play. And to get the latest news, including new episodes dropping, follow on Instagram at Reading the Play or myself at Legacy. In this episode, I will be talking to Reagan Fathers, who is originally from Australia, but his volleyball journey has taken him over 14,000 kilometers to Alberta, where he has played for the Red Deer College Kings and the University of Calgary Dinos. We'll chat about how his journey might have looked completely different if it weren't for Tim Finnegan's connections. We'll also discuss his best celebration from the bench, as well as interesting rehab techniques, among other things. Well, it looks like Reagan's all warmed up on the hot seat. Let's get it. Reagan, Fathers on the hot seat today. Thanks for joining us. How are you doing? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm doing amazing. This should be fun. Oh, yeah, uh, you absolutely. have a very interesting story. Growing up in Western Australia, East Fremantle, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, but you played your volleyball, or high school volleyball where?
1: Uh, at Heathfield High School. So I moved over to uh, South Australia or Adelaide is the main city. Uh, I think I was around nine or ten. And when did you start playing volleyball? I started playing volleyball around the middle of grade eight. At first, I went to Heathwood High School and it's what's known as a SIV, so Special Interest Volleyball School. At first, I got accepted into the school late. I didn't know which high school I was going to and I didn't know anything about the volleyball program. So I went into the gym program, just like any other kid would in high school. And then we were playing handball one day and I got picked up by the coach. He's like, you kind of have a fast arm. Would you like to play volleyball? And originally I said, no, volleyball's a girl's sport. Um, so he's like, oh, okay. And then he came back to me a couple of times. And in the end, I'm like, you know what? It's probably going to be better than running shuttles and throwing balls on the oval in gym class. So I gave it a shot and here I am. How tall were you in high school? Um, I never really had a consistent growth spurt. So I kind of just grew gradually. I think in grade eight, I would have been around six foot, six foot one, and then pr- progressed
0: until about six, five. And I've even grown an inch since I've been over here. You're on the volleyball team. When did you realize that, you know, this is something that you could take seriously, that you wanted to focus on? Um, When did those thoughts come into your head? I was one of the worst volleyball
1: players in my class when I first joined. I was tall and I was athletic. So I did like a lot of athletics, like long jump, high jump, all the track sports. Um, Never really played much in the way of actual sports, just kind of jumped around from one to the other, depending on what I was doing and like I said I was the worst in my class I could jump high I could get over the net high but I would miss the ball I remember the first ever spike I went to do my first ever tournament I'd been playing for two days and it was a big team of girls sitting on the sidelines and I got like really excited so I jumped up and landed before the ball had even contacted my hand and at that point I was like you know what maybe volleyball is not for me but then in grade nine uh, I was starting to get my hand-eye coordination in terms of volleyball together. And my coach is like, you should try out for the state team, which is the equivalent to a provincial team here. And I said, ah, you know, like, I don't really know. And then I made the team unexpectedly. Uh, I was kind of like a reserve player. Uh, They saw me as like a middle outside. They could kind of develop me. And that's where volleyball really took off. I was practicing a couple of times a day. And then like, yeah, I just kind of developed, got better. Saw some kids that were better than me, like I kind of progressed past them and using my height as an advantage, I saw something that I could potentially take forward in the future and I
0: just kind of grasped it. So when did those thoughts of I want to play post-secondary come into play for you? Probably entering grade 12. Um, I'd heard a lot about like the
1: NCAA, heard nothing of the Canadian leagues. So initially I was like, yeah, that'd be cool. I'd like love to play in the NCAA. I think that'd be great. And then I just didn't know how to do it. So I'm just like, I'll just find a job, go to university here in Australia, figure something out. And it wasn't really until I got contacted by the two guys at Red Deer, Luke Brisbane and Adam Tyleczki, that I'm like, "Hmm." okay, now I'm really interested because it's actually set in front of me. I, I didn't know what to do at the start, but with these guys, a bit of guidance and talking to me, I was
0: like, maybe this is an actual possibility for me. Okay. So let's get into that story a little bit. Who contacted you first? I believe... I can't remember exactly.
1: I think it was Adam. I, I knew of Luke, but never really talked to him too much. He was always like the one age group above me. Uh, but he was like 10 to 11 months older than me. So he was just able to fit in the age group above and the same age group. So I knew Adam from previous camps. We played together on the same team, I think, for one tournament. So I knew of him and obviously I knew Luke. He was the starting setter for the youth, the junior team. He was always like the go to setter. And originally I said to Adam, I'm like, look, like, I'm not really sure, man. Like, I'm still debating between beach volleyball and indoor volleyball. I'll let you know. And grade 12 took over beach volleyball took over and I completely forgot. And then I think it was Luke who contacted me next and he said, Hey man, like we're really looking for another international. This is my coach's email. This is his Facebook. Add him, he'll or he'll add you. Like just talk to him, just see what can happen. And then Aaron Schuler, anyone that knows him, is he's a pushy guy when it comes to recruiting, which has served him very well in the previous years. Absolutely. He added me on Facebook, sent me an email and everything, and then he's like, let's set up a Skype call. And I'm like, wow, okay, this this could actually happen. And all the meantime, I was just thinking, oh, it's just potential. It's this, it's that. But it progressed. And within a matter of weeks, I was signing scholarship papers and trying to organize my classes.
0: But you were excelling at beach volleyball.
1: Mm-hmm. In,
0: in your mind, that was the main thing that you wanted to focus on.
1: Well, it, it wasn't necessarily that it was the main thing that I wanted to focus on. It was that I was... In a program that was already so established so being in adelaide we have glenelg beach um hot for beach volleyball um and we also have the national team program so ftc for beach volleyball same sort of thing uh is in adelaide so when i was training from when i first started playing beach volleyball at the academy from age i think 15 was when i first got into the team uh the academy sorry then i progressively worked up and then once i was at the so-called australian level so i was playing for the U21 and U19 national team, we got to play with the like senior guys. So I was around, I was in that environment. So I'm like, what else do I need? Getting to the Australian Institute of Sport for Indoor at that time was a very hefty task. All the guys that were in that program are now current players of the national team. And I think most of them are even starters. So that was a very prestigious program. So it was the same for beach. So I was like, well, maybe I'm that equivalent for beach volleyball. So that's just the way I took it. I always had that passion for indoor that wasn't quite there for beach. I'm not saying that I didn't enjoy beach. I very much enjoyed beach to this, to this day, I still do. But the team aspect, instead of having one other guy next to you, just having five other guys on the court with another five, six, seven, eight, however many guys on the sideline, that's just more of my environment. I'm, I am an introvert and an extrovert at the same time, but anyone that knows me knows like how intense I can get. And I feel like i feel That's
0: fueled by my teammates. Watching you play, you're feeding off the energy. Mm -hmm. That's the name of your game, I feel.
1: Yeah. And it's been, it's commonly known in the past that it can be my downfall, but I think it advantages me in more scenarios
0: than it disadvantages me. Okay. So Luke contacts you Mm -hmm. and then you get that invite, Facebook invite from Aaron. and (laughs) It seems like a whirlwind. Was that a hard decision to make for you? Um, To pick up? your whole life and just move across the globe to a new continent, and new culture, new faces, new system, everything? It was
1: at the time, it didn't seem like it. So when I kind of talked to my friends, they were like, y- you're moving away? Like, what do you like, really? Where did this come from? And I'm like, I have no idea. It just kind of popped up. And at the time I was like, yeah, okay, I'm going to move to Canada. I'm going to play volleyball. And then I get over here. I'm like, Oh, I'm a very long way away. I got like very homesick at first, didn't know how to cook my own meals. Like my laundry, I shrunk so many shirts. My socks were different colors. So like, obviously it was an adjustment, but I don't think, I think there was more excitement than fear before coming over because at the end of high school, I wasn't 100% sure what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to be volleyball until progressing into a career or whatnot. So the idea of that being laid out for me for at least the next, three, four, five years was
0: very exciting. So when Luke says, I play for Red Deer College, (laughs) what is going through your mind? Because from my understanding of, you know, people outside of Canada, their knowledge of Canada really is Toronto, Vancouver, and whatever barren land is in between. Mm -hmm. And so now you find yourself in not even the biggest city in Alberta. Yeah what's going through your mind? Like, how uh, does that even
1: happen? There's a lot running through my mind, actually. Uh, like you said, before thinking of, um, of coming over, the only thing I knew about Canada was Toronto, Vancouver, the raptors, maple syrup and moose. Like, the, the typical stereotypes. Um, so when I was told that I was going to Red Deer, well, like, when I told that I had the potential to go to Red Deer, I was just like, where is that? And then we looked it up, and it's like, it's in Alberta. And I'm like, okay what's Alberta? So coming over, it was very unfamiliar. My perception when I um, was talking to Aaron, he's like, look, Red Deer is a really small town. We think you'll love it here. Um, He he did the whole pitch sell, which he did very well. But then I just have this image on my head. I'm like sitting on the plane and all I can envision is like the college and then like a service station and then just a bunch of paddocks like a bunch of fields i'm just thinking it's this teeny tiny country town which it is in like um in actual fact but it's not as small as i was thinking it was going to be i think red deer is just under a hundred thousand people so if i was told that before moving here it would have been a little more comforting but i was thinking like tumbleweeds five, yeah i was thinking like <laughs> 500 person town like Horse everyone, buggy. everyone comes to the volleyball game sort of thing so yeah yeah the,
0: the whole town shuts down exactly and everyone's yeah. at the game
1: yeah so you thought it was like a Friday Night Lights experience. Exactly. That's, that's pretty much what I envisioned just because I was told Red Deer College, small country town, big name volleyball team. And I'm like, great,
0: but what am I getting myself into? So tell me a little bit about the process of coming over here, being an international student. Mm-hmm. Is that a difficult one? There's a lot of application processes, like you obviously have to get a
1: student visa. If you want to work over here, you have to get a social insurance number for your health care and everything. But um, the process is actually relatively simple. So you're allowed to apply to the college before you've actually been allowed access to the country because you need the acceptance letter to get your visa. So I applied to the school. I got in, chose my program, my classes, and then essentially I just send in like everything that I own, like my birth certificate, my passport, you pay the fees, you send in the acceptance letter and whatever forms of ID they need. And then it's a six, uh, six week application process. And then you usually accept I don't know anyone that's been refused yet a visa.
0: How was your transition into new programs in school and volleyball at Red Deer College? It was interesting. So I came in for a half semester,
1: they had a player who was from the United States who left the team halfway through the year. So I stepped into not his role, but that international spot. Um, So I came into a team that was very, they'd already had a semester of classes, they knew what even the first years, they knew much more than I did the team had already bonded for four months, if not a little more, they'd played together, they know each other, where I'm coming fresh out of high school, I think I had my final exams like three or four weeks before that, um, didn't get much time off and came in to a new team that I didn't know after playing with the same team for about four or five years in high school. So it was challenging, but like I said earlier about coming over initially, it was very exciting. It was a level that I hadn't been really exposed to yet. Even though the guys were still all my age, it was very different to high school. And in terms of the education, I didn't know what I wanted to do with my education. So I just kind of got slotted into kinesiology, which ended up being a great fit. But I didn't know what to expect. I was I knew I wasn't going to be getting like the huge lecture halls that you get at typical universities. I was It was very much like a like a high school in a way, a little bit bigger of a high school. Did you have any snags in your transition over to Canada? <laughs> yeah. So um, when I was completing my application process, uh, there's an electronic signature that you fill at the end saying, everything that I've answered and stated is true, this, that, and whatever. So I signed that and then I send it off and then I book my tickets and you're supposed to get your visa when you arrive to Canada. So I'm. it's New Year's Eve I've got, I think it was four or five guys waiting for me. They'd come down, they were gonna pick me up. We were gonna go back to Red Deer, celebrate the New Year's. And I get to the customs desk and they're like, great. So like, can we should see your documentation and everything. So I show them and like, perfect, everything's in order, but we don't have a signature from you. It's corrupt on your file. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? They're like, well, the signature wasn't signed correctly. So to this day, I still don't know what was wrong. And I'm like, well, can I can I just sign the signature? They're like, absolutely but you're not allowed to apply for a visa within the country you're applying for the visa for. And I was just, I just went white. And I was like, what? And like, so we're gonna have to send you home. And I'm like, no, 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 Like you can't send me home, I just got here. So I had to say my goodbyes to the four or five guys that had come down to pick me up. It was already just, it was by the time the whole process had finished, it was about 10 o'clock. So they're like, there's no more flights. We will pay for your flight back to Los Angeles. But then from there, it's up to you. So I'm freaking out. I call my mom. We figure it out. So we get back. And when I'm in LA, I've signed the form, send them in. It was took like five minutes. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. But like I said earlier, it's a six week application process. So we're booking my tickets home. We're just like, well, I'll just come back next year. And I'm talking to Aaron Shuler at the time, talking to plenty of my teammates. And I get a message from, I think it was Tim Finnegan and Aaron Shuler. I'm not sure whether Tim messaged me personally or Aaron just mentioned it. But Tim Finnegan, who was the left side that I played with, it was his fifth year that year. His mum knew a member of parliament who also was um, close friends. So I get a text. No, I get a Email from Shul and he's like, "Look, just wait. Like, we'll see what happens. Nothing eventuated. So, my mom books my ticket. I've run out of money, all of my savings, because I was paying for some penthouse suite because that was the last they had. It was New Year's <laughs> Eve. It was like, it was like 350 dollars for a night or something. Well, you got a ball out in LA. So yeah, yeah right? exactly. New Year's. Uh, even though I was still eighteen in the United States, ages twenty-one, so I'm just this young kid sitting alone in his hotel room. I think I was watching Jaws." on the chicken fingers <laughs> yeah exactly i was too scared to go across the road to get burger king even so i just got room service and so i'm sitting in the lobby all my bags are ready to go and i get a text from my mom and it's my flight back to australia and i'm like okay here it is so i'm like talk to the front desk they get me a cab they're like okay it'll be five minutes just wait up the front so i like i plug my headphones in and i put my backpack on and my phone vibrates and i'm like what now and i like click my home button and it's a email from the government in Canada, your visa has been approved. So what you, what's usually a six-week process, I think we got approved in under 14 hours or something outrageous. So I just, my head goes into overdrive. So my mum books me a flight, cancels my flight, sorry, uh, back to Australia. We book one to Calgary and that same day I'm landing in Calgary. And I find the timing of that unbelievable. Oh, it was it was almost uncanny, actually, and even on the way to the airport, I was just mom, My mom's like, "Your flight's in forty-five minutes." I'm like, "It's a fifteen-minute cab ride." So she's like, "Okay, I'll like send you the details." So I like put my phone in my pocket, and I jump in the cab. And anyone that knows LAX, it's it's like a city. So I like he's like, "Which terminal are you going to?" And I'm like, "Oh, just like drop me off at whichever one, and I'll just find my way." And he's like, "No, no, no, like you can't just walk to the terminals." And I'm like, "What do you mean?" He actually showed me a map on his phone. I'm like, oh, my goodness. So I'm just thinking, I'm like, where am I going? And I'm just like, he's like, which one? I need to know one. And I'm like, just drop me at Alaskan Airlines. like, And then I'll figure it out from there. And I open up my phone. I think it was Terminal 2, I can't remember. And I get a message from my mom. She's like, go to the Alaskan Airlines Terminal. And I'm like, thank goodness. I get to the gate and I jump on the plane. So every the timing was one, two, three from the time I got the email from the government in Canada to cancelling my flight to guessing the right terminal. It was, it was meant to be, I guess you could say, stars if you wanted to be corny. Exactly, yeah.
0: So let's transition a little bit to your time on the court or with the team with RDC. You came in partway through your first season and that actually counts towards your eligibility. Is that correct? Yeah, so if
1: you start, I think there's a number, a certain number of games where you influence the team and it's not affected by injury, you lose a year of eligibility. So say you start three games at the start of the semester, but then someone ends up better than you. If you don't have an injury that ended your season, then that's used eligibility.
0: What did that first year look like for you in terms of playing time, who you were sitting behind, who you're learning from, all of that? Yeah, well, like I said, coming in,
1: I was very uncertain of what was gonna happen. I actually came in to a starting position, which I was very fortunate for. And Tim Finnegan struggled with a quad injury or uh, he tore it just before I came, I believe. And then he was struggling with that for a little while. So the pass hitters or left sides kind of alternated for my first half year here. So it was very much a learning experience because we had a very young team like Luke Brisbane first year got CCAA Player of the Year. I, I don't know anyone else that's done that. So incredible feat, but still a first year. Adam Tulejski, Australian, first year. Me, Australian, first year. So three Australians on the court, first years. That had to have been a funny look. But then also just guys coming onto the court, like de D'Souza, who played a big role in our following year. And even that year, due to Tim's quad injury, who would just come in and would do exactly what he needed to do. So it was a learning experience in the sense that I had to play at a higher level more consistently but i also had to adjust to the new ball that i was given break that down a little bit so the ball that they use in the cc is the molten so it's the green white and red ball versus in U sport they play with the macasa so the white and blue uh, sorry the yellow and blue right so The Macasa generally floats more and is a little glossier so it can slide through your hands easier. It's, you have to be more crisp with your contacts where the Molten is a lot more like a beach volleyball. In in my opinion, that is. I feel like it's a little bit bouncier, so it feels heavier and it comes off your hands a lot harder. So attacks are a lot stronger. Defense is a lot more difficult because it bounces off your arms a lot quicker. It was an adjustment period for me at first, just trying to figure that ball out. Um, which doesn't take too long. Anyone that's transitioned between the two know that a couple of days of using the ball can kind of accustom you to it, but I'd only ever used it once in my life. So
0: when I was throwing it, I was like, what is this balloon? And it's grippier too, isn't it? So yeah. that you can create more rotation on it.
1: Yeah, so I'm not sure the exact science behind it, but there's a bunch of, the dip, the dimples on the molten are different to the Macasa. And like I said, the Macasa has that glossy look where the molten almost has, If it's a slightly used ball, it's got like a dirtier, more rugged look. So even setting or hand-passing, I feel it just sticks to your fingers really well. Whereas if you have any moisture on your fingers with the and you're going to hand-pass it, it can just slide through like butter.
0: So let's move on to your second year at Red Deer. That was actually the first of two national championship runs for you guys. Yeah, yeah. What did the team look like in terms of composition and um, the outlook and at that time i guess you didn't even know you were going to win the championship but you had the makings of one yeah so what did that season look like for you overall
1: well we knew that we had like a couple of big guns so luke obviously coming off a stellar year winning every accolade i think you can ever win uh nick dubinsky who was a um, veteran player was easily our best player but he came in with me through my half year Year before, so he kind of had the same experience that I did, but he was obviously a lot more talented than I was at the time. He'd seen the league, he knew what it was all about. But we had we were missing Tim Finnegan, he was probably the go to guy up until his quad injury, and then Nick was our go to guy with all the rest of us just kind of filling in the slots, trying to do our job. Aaron is always looking for a P2 who is essentially a second libero, but he's offensive as well, so he wants that guy to be the gritty defensive player who passes a 2.5 every game and just gets like eight to 10 kills. Like That's what he wants that player to be, which is exactly what that player is there for. We had guys that could do that. We could all do it, but we couldn't do it consistently enough. So he was really searching for the same thing as what Nick and I did the first year, coming in halfway through, filling in the gaps that needed to be filled, except Aaron needed it for one position this year. So halfway through the year, he called up Matt Lofgren, who previously played at Thompson Rivers and Lethbridge, I believe. Um, and then Riley Friesen, who'd just come off his first semester at Mount Royal University. So Matt, with us not knowing much about him, we just knew that he was very much that P2 that Schuler wanted. And unfortunately, his very first practice with us, he dislocated his finger. So we get, we're getting the guys we need. And then one injures himself. And then Riley. So Riley is the next in line, I guess. And we know he's big. Like anyone that knows Riley Friesen is an absolute monster. But he also had troubles with the new ball at first. And I remember thinking, just looking at this guy, I'm like, man, I'm going to lose my spot to this guy. And then the first practice, I'm like, you know what? This guy's actually not that good as I thought he was. And then... Every day before practice, he was doing this one-arm stuff against the wall with the molten. And to this day, even in the one volleyball league, I see him doing it. And I'm like, what is he doing? Is he just practicing his forearms? He's going to pass with one hand? And then one day, something just clicked. Something just clicked. And then all of a sudden, it was the rally freezing people. know but on steroids. He was w- using the molten, the balls so much harder. So he ended up overtaking my position. And it was a fight with Cash and D'Souza. For the rest of the year, because I had the offensive, like section of my game over Cashton, but Cashton was by far more superior at serve, receive, and defense. And then as the year progressed, Nick actually dislocated his shoulder, so we ended up moving Riley to right side, and then it was me and Cashton at left side. I think it was only for two weekends, I believe. Nick had a incredible recovery, um, and in that time, Riley stayed consistent, and Cashton saw an opportunity and he just, his game escalated to another level. It was, it was something that I couldn't keep up with. So I was trying to fight. I, I knew I couldn't fight against Riley cause he just had the offense, offensive stature over me. And then Cashton was just passing so well and doing exactly what Aaron wanted him to do. So I ended up taking a seat on the bench. At first I didn't take it too well, but I knew it was for the best of the team. So it was kind of that internal conflict that every player faces at one point or another. And I was sitting on the bench with Adam Chiletsky because two great medals, Ty Mormon and Tommy Lyon, two unstoppable forces in that league. So we just made the best of what we could on the on the bench. We decided at the same time, um, I believe NCAA March Madness was going and all over Instagram and Facebook was these videos of the bench players just losing their mind, guys that you never see on the court, but having more fun than anyone else in the stadium. And then Adam and I looked at each other one day and we're like, let's do that let's let's be those guys so we did that what was your best bench celebration anyone that knows red deer knows the ace dance the ace dance is a standard we just hop and skip around like leprechauns i've heard one person say but i still love it to this day everyone laughs at it everyone points and takes videos best celebration Might be a bit of controversy with this one, if any of the coaches from the team hear this one, but there was this one play. So once again, but going back to Riley Friesen, it was a one-on-one solo block on the outside. He was blocking on the left-hand side. Probably the biggest block I've ever seen in my life. And I just fall over on the bench. I just like fall over, pretend I just like passed out. And then Adam Tyleczki comes up to me and starts pretending to resuscitate me. And, like, doing CPR and, like, shocks on me. And we get up. We think it's hilarious. And then the referee calls Luke up to the stand. And he's like, so there was a player that was resuscitated on your bench. And apparently Luke just kind of had a bit of a giggle to himself and then went over and told Aaron. And Aaron wasn't very impressed because it was a pretty heated game at the time. So it resulted in me getting, I think it was a red card, just a straight red. red. Yeah, I got a red card for it. So... We were surprised to say the least. I like still looking back. Like I, I find it hard not to laugh and giggle. We always bring it up. We've joked about bringing it back, but not at the risk of Shula's wrath. So,
0: <laughs> I guess timing wasn't right. No,
1: no, exactly. He's never been one to enjoy too much bench overreaction, and I truly believe that was an overreaction. But Adam and I were just trying to solidify ourselves as the jokers on the bench, and at least that set like a limit we're like okay that's too high let's just like chisel it down a few notches and then just keep it there so
0: that's what we did and it worked out as a really fun season let's go back to the decision um, from Shula to maybe start D'Souza and Friesen over you and now you're on the bench and the season before that
1: you Mm -hmm. were starting
0: yeah how do your emotions manifest over the course of that full year And you guys also winning that national championship and knowing that maybe you could have contributed more than was actually on the court. Yeah. Well, like I said, at first it was really tough because
1: as as a player that's been on the court starting for a year, so my first half year and then the first semester, um, I felt solidified in that spot. Many people say you can never get too comfortable. And I think that's what I did. When I lost my starting spot, it was a real shock I was like, well, maybe I'm not as good as I originally thought I was. Well, I'm like, what do I need to do? What can I do? So I really just f- started focusing on like my physic the physical side of my game. I'd never been one and I'm still not one to be labeled as like a gym junkie. like I'm not very large. I'm a very typical volleyball build, but over the years, I'd gained the strength that I needed to whittle away any injuries that I, would have nagging me so my knees used to be terrible i'd play a game of volleyball and i wouldn't be able to walk the next day if i didn't stretch roll and ice for two hours so having that side of my game elevated just the physical side enabled me to play at a more consistent level like fifth sets i remember fifth sets i used to jump what it felt like half the height um where now it's getting more consistent. So even though I couldn't be on the court contributing to the team, I knew that I was still contributing to the team in like energy-wise, but I knew that I was still going to be at Red Deer. Just because I wasn't starting this year, it wasn't like I was washed up and Aaron was going to drop me. I'm like, well, this isn't forever. Next year is going to come around. I need to prepare for next year. If these two guys are still here, then I need to bring my game to a spot where I can, if not, overtake them challenge them to be their best which is what I did leading up to Provincials and Nationals Because which was when around I lost my spot like the few weeks leading up we were still fighting for a spot so I made it my goal in practices in pregame warm-ups, just to kind of push the players as if they were going to be pushed in the game so anyone that knows me as a volleyballer knows that I can talk a little on the court and I can get a little overheated at times and I would do that in practice, which I think the coaches loved because it's never personal, but in a practice sense, you're giving players more game-like scenarios where they're going to have to deal with it and they would laugh at me and stuff. But I think in the end, I don't know whether it did contribute to them. You would have to ask them, but I felt like it benefited me, if not as well as them. So it just made me realize, well, like, maybe I have to play at this intensity the whole time. Because then in practices, I was like, well, I'm actually playing a little better. Like, maybe I could push these guys. But at that point, it was too far gone. They just solidified themselves, I felt. So it was a unnatural transition to being on the bench. But I think very beneficial. Well,
0: I'm just finding other ways to contribute to the team. Exactly. Even though you know it's not going to be on the court.
1: Yeah, it's easy to say team first when you're always on the court. Because, like it's even though it's one team there's still two very different teams on the court and the bench and both sides can contribute equally because bench players are very underrated in the sense that they often provide the energy off the court that can't be provided on the court like guys on the court are constantly thinking about the game because they're standing there looking at their matchups where the guys on the bench they're like okay we take down the stats we be the encouragement for the guys we talk to them when they come off the court So I also found that my analytical side of the game increased because along with my physical side of my game changing, I was like, okay, well maybe I need to start looking at footage, seeing like more footage, seeing what I can change. So I started noticing things on the bench that I'd never noticed on the court before. And now, because you had that like perspective that the players don't, right? On the court, like there's a common phrase, like you black out from the play, like everything goes so fast that you don't remember what happened. Where at the back of the court, you kind of see everything from a different perspective. And I I could apply that in
0: further scenarios. I'm guessing the game slows down when you're on the bench.
1: Yeah. Well, and it's, you don't it's have blinders so, on you. Yeah. So it's not so much that it slows down. You just see everything. Where it, To give an example, when you're one-on-one blocking, you're so focused on the ball and the player that you've got no idea sometimes what else is going on around you. So like sometimes I'd go up and I'd float. So in volleyball terms, I went up and blocked, but then I drifted out too wide because I was jumping kind of like a broad jump and I drifted past the ball so I couldn't get the block. And often people would tell me that. I'd be like, oh no, no, I didn't do that. And looking back at footage and watching players on the court do it, I'm like, okay, I can see why they can't see that, but everyone else can. So that was very beneficial.
0: So you put in all this work In the off-season, you start working out and changing your body differently. Um, Like you were saying, eliminating some of the potential injuries that could happen. Mm -hmm. And also conditioning yourself better for deeper games. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, third year, again, that's your second run at a national championship and provincials. Yeah. But you play a more significant role this time. What was the difference?
1: Moving into the following year, we still had that issue of a missing player. So the previous years was the previous year was Tim Finnegan. We were missing that left side spot. Uh, this coming year, we were losing Nick Dobinsky, who had shown nothing but putting up 20 kills a game consistently. He was the guy that we needed at that position. And Aaron had talked to me and several other guys about the lack of that right side spot. We had plenty of left sides coming in. We had guys that had already started. like Matt Lofgren was healthy and he started the whole year there. So in my final meeting with him of the year, so before I left home, he was asking me how I thought the season went. And I said, I was very honest with him. I'm like, look, I'm fairly disappointed in myself that I wasn't able to bring the level of volleyball that I needed to be on the court. So we discussed what I needed to do over the summer, technically, physically wise, mentally wise, the ways I could improve so I could be the player I wanted to be. But then he also talked to me about the option of right side and he's like look we're, we're losing nick we've only got one other right side but we need another what is your like opinion on that and i'm like well, i'd only ever played right side to fill in in practice or like hit a few balls in warm-up that sort of thing and i i was pretty unsure about it but i was open i'm like he's like we need a starting player i'm like well i'm always open for new opportunities and looking at new ways to develop my game and like well what better way to develop my offensive game than being like an offensive weapon so to say so i went home to australia that summer and played a lot of volleyball club uh like senior club volleyball but didn't get to play too much in the way of right side so coming into that following year it was like i was at the bottom of the stack again i was kind
0: of learning a lot by making mistakes When did you start to feel comfortable hitting from the right side? Um, I felt
1: comfortable hitting from the right side for the majority of the start of my right side career, I guess you could say, but I struggled a lot with the C ball. So the C ball, or is known back in Australia, is a back A. So as an opposite or a right side player, when the setter is front court, your responsibility is to hit the behind ball, but from the back court. So you have to jump from behind the three meter line. And that was something I'd never really done before. So that was a very new part of the game to me. I missed a lot of balls, made a lot of errors early just because I didn't know what I was doing. I was trying to adjust things, but I felt like I was doing it wrong. So we had a discussion with the coaches and Luke and also Ryan Beetson, who was our second setter. And we talked about what needed to be different with the C ball. Cause the front court balls were working perfectly, but the back row ball, I was just really struggling with. So we decided to push it closer towards the net so give the ball a little bit more lean so I could jump into the ball and then after that right side changed for me completely I knew how I needed this set Luke knew how I needed it and then everything was like clockwork it just kind of came together from there what about other parts of your game that you had to change in my opinion like defense is defense so moving to the right side of the court rather than being in the middle was relatively similar, like see ball, get ball, I guess people could say. But the serving side I was really struggling with. I I was predominantly a float server in high school, but with the new Molten, I tried spin serving a lot and I could put in heavy spin serves, but never really consistently. In my first year, I was predominantly a float server, but being the right side volume guy, I wanted to give my spin serve a try. And I could, like I said, I could put in a lot of heavy balls, get a, like a few aces, but my ace to error ratio was nowhere near where it needed to be. Uh, And I think it was about just after Christmas, leading into provincials even, it might have been the week or two before, I was talking to Nick Dubinsky, who we talked about earlier, who was playing in Sweden at the time, just about how my serve was struggling. And then, sorry, Nick, this is kind of creepy, but I was stalking his Instagram a little, just looking at some of his volleyball pictures. And I noticed how low he dropped his arm when he was attacking, and that he always had a pretty good hand contact. And I was like, "Uh, talk to him about it thought I'd give it a try and in my first two practices of trying just dropping my arm just however many degrees just instead of the typical archer pose that typical people know for volleyball I just dropped it not down to my waist but kind of like below my rib cage and then it just gave me a different wind up I think it might have made me rotate my body more given me more vision and control and then from there my serving just it changed completely. I was able to put the ball in more consistently. I was able to hit the ball harder even, which I didn't think like I was able to before where I, when I would try and hit the ball super hard earlier, I'd even get a little bit of a sore shoulder. So I think that extra rotation from the dip of my shoulder just
0: added to my serving game, which gave me a more well-round game as a right side player. But I think the real takeaway there is that there is a lot of benefit to creeping on Instagram.
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: Yeah, it depends on who you talk to that is right i'm sure nick was fine with that i'm sure nick was fine with that so you go on this incredible run you guys dominate provincials go to nationals and you personally are just playing out of your mind you get i believe three player of the games leading up to mvp in the championship game Mm -hmm. what was that whole stretch like for you or do you even remember? Or just it, blacking yeah. out. Uh, we just talked about
1: that blackout moment earlier. Um yeah, it it all went very
0: fast. But it was like beast mode.
1: Yeah, yeah. It was I get to this part in my game, like people call it like flow states or whatever, or in the zone. I felt that for a brief periods of each game, I was in that zone. I think I was just so determined to show people that I could play at right side even though we were still a good team it was it was our worst season in many years i think we had 5 losses and halfway through the year the coaches were like this is unacceptable we're not playing well so funny enough actually coming into provincials our coaches were like if we keep playing like this with this mentality like unless we do something to change we're not going to win and nothing changed but then game one of provincials starts, quarterfinals, I believe it was against Nate, the exact opposite of what the coaches said was going to happen, happened. Something just clicked inside of everyone and everyone was playing the best games that they'd showed that they could during the year, but never for longer stretches than maybe a set. But we were just putting together perfect performance after perfect performance. So while I felt my game escalated a little, everyone else's also escalated. So... Luke was setting better, Michael Sumner was passing threes like you wouldn't believe, digging balls that I didn't think were possible to dig. So it was a combination of everyone that made the
0: team look so much better. Not better than we were, but made us look as good as we were. And we were talking earlier about how the game against Medicine Hat was one of the most intense games that yeah. you've ever been a part of. Uh, w- without a doubt, it was the most intense game I've ever been a part Describe of. Describe to me that feeling or the environment or the atmosphere of that game.
1: So anyone that knows Red Deer College's gym, or well, at least, I guess they're getting a new gym now. So the old RDC gym was very tight knit. Everything was very close. So you were very close to the score table. You were very close to the fans. And we'd amped up Provincials. Everyone loves the volleyball and Red Deer, so we had so many people out to the point where people weren't being let in anymore. So the gym—I don't even—I don't think there was a head count, but there was hundreds and hundreds of people in there, which made it feel like thousands because the gym would echo. You can't hear yourself think even. And there's even—I was actually looking at pictures of it just the other day, like pictures of Aaron's son Kingston yelling at the top of his lungs, like shaking anything he could find just to cheer and it was there was so many people that were invested as much as the guys were on the court i remember there'd be times where i'd hit a ball and i'd turn around and there was a line of basketball guys who would get up and they'd like push me in like like hyping me up and stuff so rdc has this culture where even if you're not playing anymore you're equally as invested for the other teams because we want everyone to win as much as everyone else does. And I think that attributed to that because it's not only the guys or girls that are playing there at the time, but the alumni, the parents of the alumni, everyone's so invested. And we knew the guys on the other side of the net so well, like Alfred Dalovic, Isaac Helen Hansen. We'd played against those guys since we first entered the league. Um, So we knew each other so well and there was a level of respect there there was also that grit. So like I talked about earlier, there was that talk through the net, but like at the end of the game, there was nothing but respect. Like everyone was in, it wasn't handshakes. It was hugs through the net at like when talking to the referees and stuff. So it's, I, I could talk about it forever. It's just the game felt like it never ended, but then when it did, it was,
0: Oh, it was a rush of emotions. It was incredible. So at this stage, you've won two national championships with RDC And then what are you thinking about for the next season, or how does the next season come about for you?
1: Yeah, so uh, initially when talking to Aaron, first coming here, um, I told him that I wanted to play NCAA, after coming here, finding out about international waivers and how expensive school was in the United States, I realized that wasn't going to be an option um, without a heavy debt behind me it's leaving. It's so expensive. It's crazy, yeah. So, and the level actually, in my opinion, at the U Sport level or previously known as CIS, is better than NCAA. So, there's a lot better players coming out of their fifth year from, like, University of Alberta, U of C, all of that. And they're going straight into the national team. And there's guys doing that as well in the States. But in my opinion, they're better-rounded, well-rounded volleyballers. When I realized that the United States wasn't an option, I was then looking at universities in Canada.
0: So it was Um, always on your mind that you wanted to play even at the highest level.
1: Yeah, so, like, my mentality when it comes to, like, volleyball is I'm always wanting to, like, take the next step. It's like coming out of elementary school and going to junior high. Like you're the big kid. As much as it's going to suck, you're excited to become the little kid again. Coming out of Red Deer, I know that I wanted to go play somewhere. I didn't know where it was going to be, but I was excited at the thought of being not the go-to guy again, because then it's just, you can
0: develop more and then take that next step. So then you find yourself with the U of C, someone at the U of C comes calling. And what does that transition look like for you then?
1: Yeah, so I knew Tim Taylor um, from Australia. He previously played at Lethbridge College and then moved to the University of Calgary to play. And I get a Facebook message from him asking me same sort of scenarios when I first moved over here. Like, what are you doing? What are your plans? we need an international Curtis Stockton at the time had just graduated from his, well, was graduating from his fifth year. Anyone that knows about Curtis's fifth year, it was incredible. He set numerous records for kills and aces and whatnot. Um, so was
0: Tim like, Hey, uh, we're looking for someone who can get 35 kills a game.
1: <laughs> and I was like, well, I'm not sure if I could be your, that guy moving in for my first year, but I think I might be able to fill the slot. But once again, I was unsure. Same thing as when I first moved over, didn't know much about the program, knew a little bit about the guys, Um, that were currently playing there so ended up meeting with Rod a couple of times visiting the campus didn't unfortunately didn't get a chance to practice with the guys we were trying to get me in a practice with them but at Christmas I actually got a chance to scrimmage against them so with Red Deer we went down and scrimmaged against UFC for a day and that was actually where I signed the papers it was a big move I wasn't sure not necessarily if I wanted to do it, but, like, what was going to come next, but I knew that it was a step in the right direction. You were fielding offers from other
0: schools, though, weren't you?
1: Yeah, so I talked to, obviously, I sent numerous emails out. Aaron was working with me with that. Um, Schools like U of A had already filled spots. Uh, That's where Luke Brisbane's playing now. I contacted UBC. They don't have an international waiver, so they can't offer athletic scholarships to internationals. And then I got contacted by UBCO and uh, University of Regina. And talking with Aaron, he knew that my goal with volleyball was to win and be part of like a winning team and then i assessed my options and i thought that the best option for me would be the university of calgary so that was when i made the decision to sign and move from the small country town to the big city
0: (laughs) was it difficult to get integrated with your teammates
1: luckily different to my first year at red deer i was able to come in at the start of the year I put a lot of emphasis on off-court bonding. So while being on the court with players is very important and should never be overlooked, I find that getting to know the guys personally is the best way to play better on the court. Because- Yeah, in my opinion, don't get me wrong, other people may think different, like maybe beach volleyball, like knowing each other because there's just two of you, the better you play cohesively like off, no, sorry, on the court, then it'll transfer to game where when you have a big group of guys, I find that going to events together or organizing things together, not only are you getting to know them individually, but you're learning how to work off the volleyball court in a social setting. So you learn how to communicate, you learn to figure out what, not necessarily what they're thinking, but how their emotions are intact. So I find that's the most beneficial bonding method for a new team.
0: So you're saying that it's more important to bond as a team off the court. What was one of the examples that you had for me?
1: Yeah, so in my so my third year, so at Red Deer College, my my last year at Red Deer, the second national championship run, we had a terrible first semester. We weren't playing like we should have been. I think we had four or five losses, which right. like I said, for, for the Red Deer program is unheard of. We sat down with the coaches halfway through the year, and they're like, "Guys, like, what is going on? Like, we've got the physicality and like the guys here that we need to play well, but we we're not. It's like you guys don't know each other, and we've been having not necessarily troubles, but like issues with getting guys to coming out to like team events. We're just like, hey, guys, we're doing this, we're doing that. Do you want to come hang out? And they'd be like, oh, we have homework. And I'm not one to say like don't put priorities on academics, but you're also there for the team. Um, So a few of us stood up and said, look, we're like, we're not hanging out. Like some of you guys, we don't even know. We just know that you're on the volleyball team. You're in this program and you made this joke once. So the coaches were like, look, we're not saying you guys need to go out and get like plastered drunk every weekend to like, that's not necessarily bonding. That's just going to be detrimental to your success. But go and have wings on a Wednesday night, have like a beer together, not to the point where it's going to make you suck at practice on Thursday, but to the point where you have a conversation with the guy that you don't know. You bond with three guys in a group that you don't know. And eventually we started doing that. We got together for the most random things, like whatever we could find a reason to get together, we would do it. And all of a sudden, second semester rolls around and we're a different team we're playing a lot better still we're having the same sort of issues but not anywhere on the level that we were first half and i think we lost one game in the second half versus four or five incredible so it's a great example of just getting to know guys off the court like in my opinion there's nothing better
0: where's the best wings in town Bose.
1: But yeah, uh, it used to be Bos Then guys started getting sick there. So I'm not sure if that was just an off chance, but we also had a few guys that worked at Hudson's. So we get to go there, watch them serve a few drinks that night and eat wings. So uh, I think we had two or three guys working at Hudson's. So that just became the place we went. What was your favorite off-court bonding moment with the Dinos team? Probably, even though the entire entirety of the team wasn't there, the dinos camps in August. So I moved down to Calgary. I, I lived in Calgary with my girlfriend for the summer and then moved in to the house that I live in now in August to coach the dinos camps at UFC. So hundreds of kids, a bunch of varsity athletes coaching, well, varsity volleyballers coaching. So coming in, I didn't know anyone. And I think even though every single guy wasn't there all day, every day, at some point or another, every guy was there. So it was a great introduction to the guys. We still play volleyball because we're coaching. You learn about guys' coaching style, which kind of hints to their playing style as well, I find. Um, But also just getting to know like the girls team and the coaches just, it kind of, it was like an orientation day, but instead of an orientation day, it was an orientation month. So by the time first day classes rolled around and practices were there, I felt established. Not in the friends group, but like the Dinos Volleyball family. So I knew everyone. People knew me or knew of me, and I feel like that was very beneficial.
0: What were the biggest challenges you had to overcome when you were transitioning to the UFC? Because you were talking about they play with different balls. Yeah, it's a different game, even different pace, different. More, oh yeah, more physicality. Yeah. Uh, and new players like you were talking about how you knew everyone and their tendencies in the ACAC yeah and now it's a completely new ball game yeah unattended well, Yeah.
1: <laughs> coming in I was just I was trying to act like a sponge like you mentioned I knew everyone from the ACAC like I I still looked at the scouting sheets but I didn't have to look at the scouting sheet for, say, someone like Isaac Helen Hansen, who I'd played against for two and a half years. I knew what his strengths were. I knew where he may go in this situation. We're coming into U-Sport and playing with the dinos. I just watched videos of these guys. I knew that everyone was bigger. Everyone was more physical. But on top of that, I had no idea who anyone was. So going into a game, I'd look at this guy and I'd be in a one-on-one situation or... He'd be hitting against me and I would just, I'd not not know what to do, but I had to kind of adjust mid game rather than going into the game with a set plan. We still had scouting reports and stuff done very well by the coaching staff, but it was very much just kind of me on my own at the start, just because everyone else had some sort of
0: an idea and I didn't. So you're ready to go in your first year with the Dinos technically fourth year of eligibility yeah you've got your starting role locked down on the right side and then you suffer an injury
1: yeah so it was against uh the first game against uh saskatchewan i came down originally what we thought was on one of our middle blockers but looking back on the footage it kind of just looks like i just landed awkwardly on my on the front of my toe uh sorry front of my foot Um, Suffered a high ankle sprain and was told I was going to be out for six to eight weeks, which in the end I kind of was.
0: More on the eight-week side.
1: Uh, I ended up getting back, I think it was more around five to six weeks. I ended up being able to start the first round back after the Christmas break. But it was definitely the worst injury I've ever sustained. I've never been out. I've sprained my ankle numerous times, but... It's kind of one of those, I'm out for five days, tape it, take a bunch of Advil and tough it out. In terms of my knee injuries, it was never too severe. Um, so this was a bit of a shell shock for me. I'd never been told I'd get a, not be allowed to play volleyball for this long. So I found myself on the sidelines just setting the volleyball to myself or trying to find any way to just get touches. But it was it was frustrating at first for sure.
0: Did it alter your mentality at all? It, it definitely
1: did, knowing that, I wasn't going to be using my left leg for six to eight weeks. I just remember like every day, like I don't think this is the way it worked, but I remember just every day looking at like, mm, my quads getting smaller, my calves getting smaller. I, I'm fairly sure it was mental. There was much surely there was some muscle loss, but um, yeah, at first I, my mentality was I, I got to start over again. Because that's what it felt like after not being on my feet for so long. I felt like physically I was going to have to start over. I was just starting to establish myself in the league, and then it all just fell off.
0: So how did you find ways to contribute to the team uh, this time? You find yourself on the bench again, yeah. But the X factor is that you also can't really move, yeah. So how were you able to make yourself useful to the team, or what was uh, what were you, what was your What were your plans for that?
1: I just kind of went into it with the knowledge I'd gained from my past experience on the bench in my second year. So I'd emphasized a lot of it on my own game uh, after that year, but then coming into being on the bench again, I was like, well, now I have to apply it in the exact same way that I was doing it in my second year, except this time I can't fall on the ground and have someone jump on me and pretend to resuscitate me. If I did, I'd probably hurt myself. Um, so get get another card. Yeah, exactly. So a lot of my time was spent giving feedback. If I could to the guys on the court, I was making sure that I was watching, even though it was the coach's job to give feedback. If guys were just kind of standing back, having a drink, I would just give them, even if it was a word of encouragement. And then I worked, I, I didn't work with, I talked a lot to the first years on the team or even some of the red shirts, um, just about what I did a lot of the mental side of the game. I had a few guys ask me because I told them that I used to be a bit of a hothead in high school when it comes to volleyball. And they were like, what did you do to get out of that? Um, So just things like that, just kind of helping other guys in ways that I could from knowledge that I'd
0: gained that they may not have or maybe just needed reassurance from. So you finish up your year at U of C and then you find yourself actually now Uh, heading back to red deer yeah Uh, before before we get to that what did you learn at your time at UFC?
1: oh that's a tough one that this is going to sound kind of stereotypical but even in like a place where you don't think you can come out of like there was a point in my five to six weeks of sometimes not being able to go to classes because i was stuck on crutches in the winter um thinking that no what am I doing after volleyball? Like, what if this ankle injury, like my physicality, doesn't ever come back? What if my ankle is never the same? So, coming out of that, like, like I said, it's kind of stereotypical, but just like resiliency, I've had plenty of injuries in the past, but I don't think I've ever come back stronger from this one, from anything like this one. Like, I've had many ankle injuries in the past, and I've never really thought anything of it. I'm up, like, oh, ankle injury, I'm back on in two weeks, nothing, nothing to do with it. But then with six weeks off thinking that i might not play volleyball again for the rest of the year you really get to take a step back and like reassess where everything's at and things where you realize you're taking certain situations for granted you don't anymore
0: so you mentioned that you had a great story to tell as well during your rehab stint yeah so um at the time i was in uh
1: sports psychology class with Dave Pascovich, a great psychologist who worked with our team a lot, just with anything we needed. If the team was ever struggling or we had a bad weekend, he'd come to Tuesday practice and just talk to us, just give us some advice. And I remember we were talking about the psychology of rehab, I think it was, and just talking about what you could do in terms of imagery or something, Um, imagery or just meditation, just to help you along with the recovery process. And, He talked about, I think it was an alpine skier or he worked with a lot of um, winter athletes and he mentioned to me this story of someone who had an injury and they envisioned lots of mini Pac-Men coming through their body and just eating away the scar tissue and the inflammation and I gave it a try and I would do it two or three times a day. So I'd do it in the morning before I went to class, I'd do it um, during practice when everyone else was warming up I just sit there and envision it and then before I went to bed and then a week later I was walking when I wasn't supposed to be out of the boot I think for I was still in the boot but I was putting pressure on it when I wasn't supposed to be putting pressure on it for I think another two or three weeks I think it was so I'd always heard of imagery I'd used it in terms of volleyball but never seen it work in such a quick fashion does it work for losing weight (laughs) <laughs> I, I don't know it might be worth a try just Pac,
0: mini Pac-Man for anything you need good to know <laughs> so you finish off your year at UFC and you're thinking of playing another one in Calgary or with the Dinos for your fifth year to round out your university career but obviously things uh, take a different path and yeah so what happened there
1: so I was in kinesiology as I mentioned at the start with Red Deer Uh, at Red Deer, sorry. And then when applying for University of Calgary, that was my first option. But as it turned out, my high school, I think it was my bio, my chem and my math didn't link up for the prerequisites for University of Calgary. So I met with academic advisors and I I would have to do a bunch of continuing education before I could get admitted to kinesiology. So by the time I finished that continuing education, got the courses I need done. I think it, like they said, it would have been 2020 before I would be admitted. And obviously I'm already gone by then. So I was very conflicted with what I wanted to do because I knew the group of guys that I was with was where I wanted to be. The, volley, the level of volleyball and the league was where I wanted to be. I was really enjoying Calgary, but I know that in the long run, volleyball doesn't last forever. And even if it's even if it's a diploma from Red Deer College, at least then it's something I can build on rather than playing so-and-so many years of pro and then losing those credits and having to start over again and paying full international tuition. So I made the decision to go back to Red Deer, finish the courses that I needed to get the diploma, and then in between my pro seasons, my plan is to Like, if I want to complete the degree at University of Calgary, do that continuing education in the summer using the money that I earned from the pro seasons, hopefully. I mean, hopefully it's enough. But yeah, so the main thing for me was just thinking forward. As much as I wanted to be playing there, I knew that, like I said,
0: volleyball isn't forever. Well, and obviously Aaron's going to welcome you back with open arms.
1: Yeah, yeah. So he did talk to me. Before I left, and he's like, "Look, like if anything ever happens, you know that like, like Red Deer is like family to me now. Like, it's Canada's home to me now. It's been I've been here for long enough, um, and Red Deer is where it all started. So I feel very much at home there. Um, so going back is exciting, but like I said, there's very much conflicting emotions
0: over it. Did you guys discuss a little bit about uh, what your role will be when you go back? Are you pl- back to playing right side? Yeah, uh, and then. Does Aaron have any expectations for you around being a mentor of sorts to the younger players coming in where you once were? Yeah. Going into my
1: fifth year, I want to make the most of it. Like I can't believe five or four, four and a half years has gone by so fast. I remember talking to Tim Finnegan and he's like, trust me, it'll fly by and you'll be a fifth year before you know it. I'm like, no, it won't. You're old. I'll get there eventually. And before I know it, I'm here. So going into next year, my mentality is number one, win. Like I, I don't want to accept anything less. And if we don't win, then I want to play the best I can and have the best team volleyball that we can. And if that's not enough to win, then so be it. But also just being there for the younger guys that are undoubtedly going to be as uncertain as I was. It's obviously going to be a different scenario, them not coming from another country, but it's the biggest step they've made. So it was the biggest step I've made, them moving, say, from Medicine Hat or Lethbridge to Red Deer College might be the biggest thing they've ever done in their life. So just being there for those guys and being the encore and off-role model that they need is, I think, what could be the best thing for the team.
0: So I meant to ask you this earlier. Looking back now on four and a half years of being in Canada, what is maybe one or two of the strangest traditions (laughs) or practices that we have here in Canada. I want that outside perspective. Yeah, I've certainly racked my brain thinking about this. Culturally,
1: Australia and Canada are very similar. One thing I can't get over is the country music. Like, I'd listened to a lot of country music. No, I hadn't listened to any country music before I came over here, sorry. So when I first moved here and moving to a small country town of Red Deer, where nine out of the ten stations are country, I was like, what's the deal with all this? Like, everyone's like Miley Cyrus sort of thing. Like, what's going on? But Keith Urban is Australia's greatest national uh, yeah. export, isn't oh, well, yeah, you know. Yeah, I know, but like, I never, I never listened to him. So that was, I just kind of knew Keith Urban was a... In fact, I'm not even sure if Keith Urban I knew was a country artist. I just thought he was a rock star. I don't know. I didn't know what he was. Fair enough. Um, but on top of the country music, which I've now grown accustomed to, like it being Stampede. Now I can very comfortably go to the Cowboys tent and listen to as much country music as I need. I even sing along to some of it.
0: Do you know how to two-step
1: or has Jade taught you? (laughs) Jade has tried to teach me along with many other people. I find that as the night progresses, I get better and better. And then I wake up the next morning and I think I know how to two-step. And next time I go, it's just completely different to what I thought it
0: was. It's it's complex, but I can, I can hold my own. I hear you, man. I hear you. <laughs> yeah. Now that you're looking at going pro, mm-hmm. well, first off, when did those thoughts of going pro happen for you? And when did you think that was going to be a reality for you?
1: It would have been in my first year. So when I finally made the decision to move over and commit to volleyball, I fully committed. So as soon as I'd always thought like mm, college would be fun, university would be fun, pro would be unreal – but I'd never had that presented to me. So when college presented itself to me and then the potential of being not recruited, but developed in a way that pro scouts would want you was very appealing to me. So it would have been my first year that I decided I could probably take this all the way if I
0: want to. So with pro on your mind, does that change the way in how you approach the game in your final year in terms of is there a certain way that I should be playing in order for pros to look at me? And then also with body maintenance, maintaining your body to a place where it's optimum and uh, risk-free of injury. I don't think you
1: necessarily need to approach the game in any different manner than you did when first trying to be recruited. So like I mentioned earlier, it's like going from elementary to junior high. It's the same sort of thing just because college coaches were looking at you it doesn't mean pro coaches are looking at you any differently so they're looking at the same sort of thing except instead of being like this guy wants to be in this program he wants to do this with his career pro coaches are just this is what he plays this is how good he is at the position we want to pay him so in my opinion the approach is no different i'm going to approach the year like you said developing myself physically just no more than i would the previous years just developing so that i can get to that next level but then also just working on my game along with my teammates so i'm constantly developing so i'm not hitting a plateau before i make that move i may hit a plateau potentially in my first year of pro who knows but my goal is to not have that happen
0: thanks for joining me on the show today and uh, best of luck in the upcoming season thank you jeremy thank you so much for having me thank you for listening to this episode of reading the play for more content please subscribe to this podcast on itunes or else you can also download at sportcalgary.ca make sure to check out the facebook page reading the play and to stay up to date on the latest rtp news including new episodes follow on instagram at reading the play or myself jeremy lee at legacy i really hope there is a piece of reagan's story that impacts inspires and ignites you to help you win your day and as always i'll catch you in the next episode